three, two, one. Welcome back to the Politipop Podcast, the podcast where we take your favorite pop culture media and discuss the social and political themes within. I am your co-host, Mike Booch, a.k.a. Dr. Manfatten, and I am thrilled to be joined by my co-host, Ty. Hey, it's Ty, a.k.a. the Court of Night Owls, a.k.a. the Silk Spectator. Oh, damn, that was good. This, oh, I couldn't come up with any good ones for like the rest of them. But I, can't, oh, I came up with it 30 seconds ago, so I'm really happy about that. Hey. <laughs> the best stuff comes up on short notice. So today we're going to be reviewing HBO's Watchmen. So we're not reviewing the Watchmen comic book necessarily, although I'm sure we'll could... refer to it at times. Many times, yeah, because uh, this show is actually a direct sequel to the comic book as opposed to the movie directed by Zack Snyder, which is its own adaptation. Yeah. And there's also a DC Comics uh sequel which is also not playing into this so it's weird watchman's a very uh diverse medium i guess now there's a lot of different stuff going on and this is the second alan moore property we're doing v for vendetta was also an alan moore property but if you look in the credits because we mentioned last time how alan moore gave up all of his uh you know credits and stuff how it just says based on characters co-created by dave gibbons that was it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah alan moore's not a fan yeah, he's keeping himself out of it. So today we're going to be reviewing HBO's Watchmen, and uh, we're episodes going to be doing one through this... three, right? We're going to be doing the first yes. three episodes only. We're going to be reviewing episodes one through three, then four through six, and then seven through nine in the in the last uh, trilogy trio. In the last episode, we record these. Uh, but before we do, I just want to talk a little bit. I have one bit of housekeeping, just one. Ty, do you know what it is? Uh, I'm it assuming is... it's about the DNC. Believe it or not, it's actually not about the DNC. Oh, that's shocking. Yeah, um, that that might be its own thing. That uh, because the DNC still still isn't over. I know that Kasich had some shit to say that they let they gave John Kasich more time. The anti-choice advocate, the fucking Republican, than they gave to AOC, who should be the face of the future Democratic Party, like the future of the Democratic Party. But they're they're trying to keep her in the loop and just kind of make her another fucking establishment Democrat. Yeah, they gave her 60 seconds of a pre-recorded message that they could approve before they aired it. So uh, if that's not a fuck you, I don't know what is. And she had some shit to say about it on Twitter, so that was nice. However, nice. she also said, oh, well, thank you for recognizing that we need a to vote on the uh, the Biden-Harris ticket. And I was like, yeah, okay, stop. Yeah, I almost threw up in my mouth. But my bit of housekeeping is actually about the USPS. For those of you who don't know, the United States Postal Service is currently under attack by the Trump administration. Uh, the Postmaster General, who was just put in, uh, is, is a Trump guy. And uh, basically, Trump is suppressing votes there the administration is administering voter suppression throughout the entire united states by removing uh mail sorting machines they're removing mailboxes and i've been wondering you know i've been talking with you about it ty like how do we fight this uh how do we 
change things? How do we make it so that way we can do mail-in voting? But also more so just that one of the oldest establishments in the United States history doesn't get destroyed by one fucking asshole because he wants to rig an election. Um, so I did find this Mashable article. Um, you can check it out. It's going to be in the show notes. But it does mention that you can at least... Uh, they give you like a number to text and which allows you to reach out to your congressional representatives. You enter some information to a bot that is known as resist bot and um, and it'll like find out who your representatives are and send a send a letter to them. Uh, so so that's one thing. There's also and it also has other ways in which you can you can resist and which you can help try and save the the post office so check out our show notes that way you can see those unfortunately we're not um able to protest right outside postmaster uh, general DeJoy's house right now um but other people are doing that in greensboro north carolina so that's going to be a bit of a, a bit of a way to get there but um anyone who is there please keep harassing him and and protesting outside and uh you know if any if any more information comes out maybe the link i gave you actually is an identity stealing thing i'll let you know because i, I <laughs> so oh, oh boy it seemed pretty legit got him just texting all my information to this bot <laughs> some dude sitting in his room like oh, resist bot idiots yeah right it's it does uh, seem actually like the perfect plan to, <laughs> to, to own the libs i mean whatever it's you know it can't be any worse than everything else that's happening. So yeah, honestly, you know? it really can't. And I feel like people are saying something. the best way to uh, to save the post office is to vote come November. Um, but my question is, what if you can't vote? How do you how do you vote out Trump if you can't vote? So uh, I think voting for me is just uh, not an option anymore. Well, former First Lady Michelle Obama made sure to let everybody know to pack a sandwich and a bag lunch, grab your comfortable shoes, put on a mask, and stand in line all night if you have to, to vote. You know, let's just accept things the way they are and do our, you know, do our best instead yeah, of... fuck it. You know... Who cares if COVID gets tearing you? Tearing everything fucking down. Yeah, exactly. Like, you got a mask on, you're fine. It's, not, it's no longer vote or die, it's vote and die. My question it's, is, if you're in line, right, and you have your mask on, and the guy behind you and the guy in front of you refuse to wear a mask, are they going to kick them out? Or is that illegal because they're voting? So what's protecting you? You know what I mean? So a great question that I don't have an answer to. And there probably isn't an answer, but these are all reasons people want to do mail-in voting, which is why uh, Trump is trying to block it. Um, yeah, well, yeah, I don't because know. <laughs> it's not like we don't have voter suppression already, right? Yes, we already do. Like we've we do had so it for a while. So now I think the idea is if people are able to mail in their votes, it means that people who normally can't go out and vote now that it's actually more accessible to them. And Trump doesn't want that because he yeah. knows he's not going to win. I mean, voter suppression is probably uh, as vital to to the to the elections than you know than the candidates or the actual voting. I feel like even uh, in the primaries, there was a lot of voter suppression, right, for the Democrats. I mean, both parties do it, so. You know, if they can oh, yeah. prevent that, it's in everyone's best interest, I'm sure. Voter suppression is also an institution as old as the USPS. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Buy a sheet of stamps or something. It's uh, it's only 11 bucks. Um, it's a shame because I get nothing in the mail anymore. I feel like, really? like very rarely. Yeah, I very rarely get anything from the mail. Because unfortunately, as much as I hate Amazon and I hate, uh, you know, talking about how how people have been taken advantage um you know i 
I do have to pay bills and live my life, and that's one of the cheaper options of getting stuff. And a lot of places only sell on Amazon now. I think we've discussed a few times. So yeah, like the yeah, majority yeah, of my stuff. Not on mic, but yeah, maybe yeah. Like you know, know, there's so many times you can go to the website. You're like, you know, people are like go to the website, buy directly from that company. You know, don't give money to Amazon. And you go to the website and they direct to Amazon. You're like, fuck, what do I do? You know, like ah, you know. Uh, so you know, unfortunately, it's a lot cheaper to sometimes purchase from them. Um, and I get a lot of stuff from there. I get a lot of cat food. I get, you know, uh, vitamins and supplements and things like that, especially now with COVID because I don't go to the store uh, unless, you know, it's my own job. I, I don't get stuff from anywhere else. So uh, it's a weird it's a weird place to be. I feel bad for the post office. I feel like, you know, I don't know what the answer is for them. Yeah. Well, um, if you all know any buildings to burn down, please feel free to let us know. Uh, we'll give our contact info at the end of the <laughs> at the end of the episode. All right. Yeah. So and you can also contact Resistbot for that as well. Yeah, let let Resistbot know. He'll he'll tell you like, oh, this will <laughs> cripple the infrastructure if you <laughs> if you attack this building. Um, Resistbot is baller. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Resistbot for president. Hey, we're all going to go in on a margarita pitcher. You want one? I am built to resist. <laughs> I will take a mimosa. <laughs> My God. Fucking resist, Bob, bro. He resists everything. It doesn't matter. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, that being said, let's move forward to our review of the first three episodes of HBO's Watchmen series. Ty, please give him the plot. Watchmen. Set in an alternate history where mass vigilantes are treated as outlaws, Watchmen embraces the nostalgia of their original groundbreaking graphic novel of the same name while attempting to break a new ground of its own. Yeah, and I think it does both of those expertly. Uh, did it does bring back like a lot from the original comic book stuff that I had forgotten. Like if you haven't read the Watchmen comic book, uh, there's going to be spoilers. If you haven't seen the movie, there's also going to be spoilers. Because yeah, they're pretty close. Um, and if you haven't seen the show, there's also going to be spoilers. So just just please prepare for those. Uh, but like one thing I forgot was that we won the Vietnam War in the in the Watchmen universe. Because right. Doctor yep. Manhattan's uh, intervention. Yeah, I think that was the first and last time. <clears throat> that he became involved like in a major event, right? Like that was like his big like, oh, I can't take part in things anymore because it didn't really go the way he planned. Yeah, and at the time of the Watchmen comic book, it's basically uh, all of the superheroes, all the vigilantes have been disbanded by something called the Keen Act. And so there's only a few uh, a few people who are still practicing. Dr. Manhattan is basically a man turned God who is working for the U.S. government. Rorschach is a, is a right-wing racist vigilante who <laughs> uh, has, has a fucking cool mask and administers his own form of hardcore street justice. Uh, he administers equal justice to everybody, okay? Yeah, we'll see. I found a good Reddit thread talking about why he's racist. Oh, that's fair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I was like, huh. I didn't I realize it when I read the comic originally, but I was like 17, so maybe that's why. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, neither did I. And then like the second time I read it, he's like talking about how like gay people have like bad lifestyles, like their immoral lifestyles. Oh, and he's talking about welfare queens. And I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> the show makes a lot of sense then. Yeah, yeah, it does. Uh, and, you know, by the end of it, the world's smartest man who uh, was also a, a former superhero, he's now like the richest and smartest man in all of history. He concocts a plan to bring mankind together by creating an, an extraterrestrial threat 
once again, he created it, so it's technically not extraterrestrial, and wipes out about 3 million people, and because humankind is so afraid of that, they stop being afraid of each other. So we are ki- we should be in a utopia world. I believe that the show takes place 30 years after the event, in which Dr. Manhattan is now chilling on Mars doing his thing, and... Um, you know, we're we're seeing once again, yeah, vigilantes are outlawed and uh, we the whole story takes place not in like a big city like I think the first one did, but it takes place in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Yeah. And I think a, a big part of this was Rorschach's journal. So, you know, at the end of Watchmen, uh, he had he had been determined to reveal Adrian Veidt's plot uh, to, to tell people the truth. He felt like, you know, um, the it wasn't worth keeping secrets from the people to to bring them together. So he had sent a journal to, uh, I don't remember if it was a newspaper or, or something along those lines, um, and they don't reveal whether or not it got out in the original comic. Um, but here you see that journal plays a very large role in the world uh, of Watchmen that we're seeing 30 years later. Yeah, the whole show starts off with a flashback into the uh, the the racist history of Tulsa, Oklahoma. Yeah, not fictional. And Very true. Yes, yes, this is not fictional. I thought I thought it was, but it, it, t- it turns so out so did it's, I. It's not. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so so. We started with this little boy watching a silent film, and it seems very—it seemed at the beginning very *Birth of a Nation*-esque to me. For uh, those of you who don't know, *Birth of a Nation* was the first blockbuster that ever came out. It helped revitalize the Ku Klux Klan by depicting a bunch of uh, by depicting black people as monsters, uh, lechers, people who just are rude and eating chicken and watermelon all the time and preying on the white women and it's up to the heroic Ku Klux Klan to come and save them. So that's where I thought this was going, but it's a little black boy in what I what we find out is a black owned theater, movie theater and he's watching this movie about a white sheriff who's actually being taken down by a black marshal. And this marshal yeah. is all about like listen, trust in the law. You know that we 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 don't need vigilante justice because everyone wants to hang the 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 I believe he was a horse thief the sheriff or something. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, something like that. So they want to hang him and he's like no, believe, you know, trust in the law. And uh and you know that that kind of sets the the precedent for this whole show as we see the little boy rushed out of his rushed out of the movie theater by his parents and at the we're we're finding out what happened in Tulsa. This is known as the Tulsa Massacre. It happened in 1921. Uh, we have a link to it in the show notes. We have a couple links to it in the show notes, actually. And uh, this basically was known as Black Wall Street. It was an area where black people were living the American dream. They were doing everything they were supposed to. They were educated. They owned businesses. They they kept that dollar in their own businesses as well. Like They were helping the, the black community uh, thrive. And yeah, and I mean, like, you know, the crazy thing is, I feel like, you know, white people always argue, well, they should stick with their own kind. They were. They had their own place, right, where where they could live together and they were thriving. And I think just seeing them be successful was such a threat uh, to, to, you know, white people and white supremacists at the time. Yeah, really turned uh, Tulsa into a racial powder keg. And all it took to ignite this powder keg was a young black boy. He was a messenger. He was getting in an elevator to deliver a message. Uh, the elevator had stumbled a bit while it was uh, while it was going up, and he like bumped into the the operator, who was a white woman, and she screamed rape. So. This, uh, you know, this led to the boy being uh, being arrested, being brought in, 
And a few black people came, you know, his father and, you know, some other people came and they were like, listen, like, you know, we're here for justice. We're not here to start trouble. We know for a fact that it's impossible for this little boy to have raped this, you know, this this girl, which, um, you know, if I could talk a bit for about uh, white lady tears, because this is uh, <laughs> because this this is historically a, a problem that white women's voices have been used to to end black men's lives. We saw it most recently, and luckily it didn't actually come to fruition, but we saw it most recently with the Central Park uh, woman, Amy, whatever the fuck her name was, and she was uh, trying to call the cops on a bird watcher who wanted her to put a leash on her dog. Yes. Yep. You know, you know it's something my, my girlfriend, uh, who's Hispanic, told me that, you know, women of color have have more in common with men of color than they do white women. You know, there's like you would think that women would be able to come together, but they really don't. There's uh, there's a, a still a very distinct difference there, um, because unfortunately, like you said, white women, white women tears. You know, they they can use that to really take advantage of of you know black and brown and you know uh, people of color and, and just really do some damage there. Yeah, that's what got Emmett Till killed as well. Emmett Till, who was also a victim of vigilante justice, he was he was a victim of a lynch mob. Um, so, so we see that that's basically what started this. So they get their boy back and it went, shit popped off to, to just be <laughs> completely uh, candid. Uh, people start white people, uh, Klansmen started storming Black Wall Street, uh, killing people. They, they show images that I thought were so extreme in the show, but it turns out that's really what happened. They're throwing Molotov cocktails into black owned businesses, burning the owners alive. They had you know, aerial support. On. Like it's, yes, they had planes. They bombed them. It's unbelievable. It was like a war zone. It was literally like a war zone. Yeah, and it's it's so tense and it's scary as we see these parents just trying to get their kid out, um, you know. And they they have to turn their backs on all of their black brothers and sisters because they're trying to just save their own at this point. Yep. Like they're literally seeing all these atrocities happening in person, and they you know they they have to just walk past, soldier on. They end up getting this little boy to uh to to a couple of friends the father who i believe is a is a war veteran actually actually i don't know that for I, fact, yeah i don't i don't know they don't really like give you a lot of uniform yeah they don't give you a lot of detail about him but yeah so so the father he he grabs a letter and he writes on this letter uh look after this boy or protect this boy or watch over this boy. I think it's watch over this boy because they go the watch, both the word and actual watches have a huge uh, part to play in the Watchmen mythology and in the mythos. It is it is called Watchmen, not look over men. So it is called that it is called <laughs> who looks over the look over men. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so they, so they get this little boy in a trunk and unfortunately he's the only one that can go. So he leaves his parents behind, uh, almost gets shot through this, through this wooden crate he's hiding out and he's stowing away him and his, uh, and the people who he's with, they get into a car crash and they're both dead. They end up shot in the head and this well, little boy. His, his parents are killed survive. behind him. They're, they're, the building's were bombed. Were they the ones, were they the ones who were dragged by the car or no? I don't think, I thought they were just bombed because he's looking back and the building he just came out of gets blown up by one of the planes. So I'm pretty sure they were they were killed there. Oh, okay. So that happened so quick, I missed it. Thanks for yeah. pointing it out. And I want to talk just a bit about this about this little boy. Like his father, he puts him in this in this crate in this box, and he just says, "Be strong." Like that's it. He doesn't say "I love you" or anything yeah. like that. He just he just says, "Be strong." And um and you know this really spoke to me as like the idea of like. 
I don't think the black community gets to deal with emotions uh, the way that that they're supposed to. Uh, it, there is something known as adultification bias, which I believe we've spoken about a few times before, not by that name, but we do talk about people like uh, like Emmett Till, for example, who was a young boy who was tried as not even tried. I shouldn't use that word. Uh, but he was treated as if he was a man who actually committed a crime when he wasn't. Tamir Rice was referred to as a man. Uh, fucking Trayvon Martin was referred to as a man. And uh, and most recently, the the individual who was shot in Chicago that we mentioned in our last episode, you know, there was this discrepancy between was he was he 20 or was he 15? Was he fit like, it, you know, black people don't really get the chance to be kids. Yeah. There's this really informative article that's in the show notes as well. Uh, there's a couple of them. One of them is called Why Won't Society Let Black Girls Be Children? And it talks about how uh, this, you know, black girls in preschool, I think they made up 20% of preschool students, but we're still disciplined. We're still made up 54% of the disciplines. Wow. And this is preschool. This is under six years old. Like by this point, like they are being treated as if they're a problem from such a young age. And there's also another one called Let Me- Let Them Cry, Toxic Masculinity and Black Male Vulnerability. So I suggest that you do check those out uh, if you're listening to this episode now. Um, you know, this is stuff that I've spoken, I've spoken about in Get Out and Black Panther with Josh, and I brought it up in a few other episodes. But, uh, but you know, this just kind of hammers that point home. And, uh, and it, is, it is interesting, like, we see the resolve of, I mean, not just black children in general, but, like, he finds this baby, this kid. He's the only one left. He finds a baby and walks away with it. And, but at no point does this boy shed any tears. It's insane. Like, just the resolve of children to, like, kind of just be like, all right, I guess this is life. Like they don't know what to compare yeah. it to, so they just keep moving. Like that's what kids do. They they really illustrated that so well in this in this show. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, so it, it, we do find out a little bit more about this world. It turns out that Rorschach's journal, which you mentioned earlier, Ty, was was sent to sent to a newspaper and it was widely published and it became kind of like a manifesto for white supremacists. They dropped the Klan hood and they adopted Rorschach's mask. And um, and it turns out that on, in one coordinated attack in one night known as the White Night, they all attacked the the police force of Oklahoma because this is uh, this is a world in which Robert Redford has been elected president. Uh, so we have a celebrity president, very, very prescient, except this celebrity president decided that he was going to administer reparations for all those who are victims or are descendants of victims from the Tulsa massacre. And this really riles up the white supremacists. They hate it because this brings a bunch of black people in back to Tulsa and they start opening up their own businesses. It's like almost a revival of Black Wall Street. And they fear this. So these white supremacists, they take on the Rorschach mask. Yeah, they call themselves and, the Cavalry, right? Yeah, they call themselves the 7th Cavalry, 7K. And, and they decide that they're going to get rid of all of the cops. And the only way to rebuild the police force is they start wearing masks to protect their identities. Nobody is allowed to know if you're a cop. Nobody's allowed to know who the cops are in real life because they are under that much danger from white supremacists. Yeah, it's pretty wild. And, you know, in this world where there had been mass vigilantes, you know, we had superheroes and things. Uh, they outlawed that. And now the cops are those characters, right? Like Sister Knight, the Red Scare, like they have alter ego names and everything. Uh, and, it, you know, it's they start to 
in a scary way, even though they're kind of the good guys, they start taking advantage of their position a little bit, right? They don't they don't have to read people their rights. They can abuse them because no one's really watching them. No one knows their identity. Yeah, it's so it's such a conflict of feelings for me. And I mentioned it to you off mic, how like you know, we see these cops that are blatantly violating people's civil rights. You know, they 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 will just beat the shit out of out of you and uh, and take you into to a black site to get interrogated and stuff. And you know, drive vehicles that are that are unmarked sometimes, which is what sister, uh, which is what Long Night does. Uh, they call her Sister Night because they're like brothers and sisters in arms. But I think her her official superhero name is actually Long Night. Is it? Um, is it? I thought it was Sister Night. Oh, no, she is Sister Night. You're right. For some reason, I thought it was The Long Night. I guess I got my HBO properties mixed up. And, uh, and <laughs> Game, of, Game, of, Game Thrones. of Thrones. Yep, <laughs> with, the, with The Long Night. The Long Night. Um, you know, we're getting a little a little bit ahead of ourselves. We're going to be jumping around a bit, but I want to talk about this moment where uh, where the guy gets pulled over in the truck at, at the beginning of the show. It happens just after the Tulsa flashback. Uh, would you Do you want to go into that, actually? Into that scene? Yeah. Yeah, so... Tell a good story. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate that. Uh, so basically, you know, this we, we have a white male who's pulled over. He's in like a, I guess like a pickup truck, right? Yeah. And uh, truck. we have a police officer who's now wearing like a yellow bandana, yellow mask around their face because even They're even called patrol gators nowadays. Yeah, even patrol officers have to wear a mask. No, no police officer, I think, except for the chief, probably uh, shows their face anymore. Um, and, and you know, he he pulls them over, kind of you know questions them. Uh, asked him a couple things, and uh, I, I don't remember what he says to him, but but the the man he pulled over makes a comment, right? Doesn't he make like yeah. a smart ass remark to him? Yeah. So so I mean the the layout of this whole scene is is so weird because we see, you know, you if you look closely, you can see that the cop is actually black, and the guy he's pulling over is white. But this white guy is so nervous. He rolls down his window. He he like fucking like uh, spills his drink, and he's like, "Oh shit!" And he puts both of his hands on the steering wheel, and you know he's talking to the cop, and he's like, "I'm going to reach for my license and registration. It's in the glove compartment." Um, but the the smart ass remark that he makes is the guy says, "Can I see your license and registration?" Um, oh no no no. He says um he says, "What are you hauling?" And he says, "I'm hauling lettuce." And he goes, "Can I see?" And he goes, can I see your face? Yeah. He's like, all right, (laughs) license and registration, buddy. And I'm actually feeling really bad for this guy who's getting pulled over. I'm like, I'm feeling uncomfortable for him. Yeah. And then the scene really quickly flips, right? So we follow the police officer back to his car and, you know, he's running all this stuff and uh, he knows something's amiss, right? He knows this guy's up to something. Um, He he spotted something in the glove compartment, which I think uh, tied into the Seventh Cavalry. He said that it looked like a Rorschach mask. Right. So he calls this in, and you know, it turns out that police officers' guns are now under under like an electronic lock, and you cannot access it without permission from headquarters. So he has to wait to get it buzzed out. And he's like, you know, buzz my gun out. They're like, you know, stand by. And he's waiting. He's trying, and they're like, all right. He goes to pull it, and it's stuck. He's like, nope, didn't work again. They're like, all right, go ahead, stand by. And he's waiting and he's getting nervous and nervous and nervous. And, you know, he keeps looking up at the truck to see if anything's amiss and he doesn't see anything. And finally the electric lock, you know, comes off and he's like, all right, you know, it worked. So I have to pull the gun out and he just gets lit up by, I think, a machine gun uh, or, or, or a pistol from the from the truck in front of him. Um, and it turns oh, yeah. out the, the guy in the truck is 7th Cavalry, right? And he, he just lights up this police officer. Um, and then he, he throws a piece of lettuce on him, right? He, he throws it right onto his lap, and then he pulls away. Um, and, and I think this is all done very intentionally. I think they want, you know, oh, if yeah. if you're 
if you happen to be someone who supports the police, who supports, you know, white supremacy, now you see kind of maybe from a different perspective a little bit, right? Like, you know, what is it like when the police don't respect your rights, for example? You know, uh, they do it to, to black and brown people all the time. What if they started doing it to white people, right? Uh, you know, you know, how do you feel about this cop, you know, being being shot up if you support the police so much? So it definitely plays with, uh, with the viewer's emotions. And obviously, this is all very intentional to kind of switch up from the real world. Um, and it's a really intense scene. You don't know what's going to happen exactly. You, you don't really know who to root for, right? They're in a way they're both ma- both masked individuals. Yeah the the thing that really shocked me was that he had to request use of his weapon. Yeah. Like the it's in a lock in his car, and he had to like keep requesting it, and then and then there was a malfunction, like he couldn't pull it out, like you said, and then he he did he did get lit up, and you know really this this guy in the Rorschach mask. I don't know. Could could he have just let it go? Maybe. I mean, I don't know. The the cop clearly was like, you know, like really he had nothing to be afraid of because he was, um, you know, he was hauling lettuce. <laughs> like, yeah, um, but guess, there was you know, wasn't there weapons underneath the lettuce? There might have been. They never tell you where he got the gun from. Honestly, okay, but yeah, yeah if the cop did go to search his car, then he probably would have found the the mask and uh, and weapons as well. Yeah, and, 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 you know, I guess an argument could be made if that police officer could have reached for his gun sooner, would he be, you know, would he have not been shot? It's it's definitely interesting. It, it really turns it on its head for you. Um, yeah. In a you world know, where a tough... we see police brutality, we, you know, we, at the same time, we don't want to see people being killed on either side, right? And we see also that not every cop is a vigilante either. Like, they're cops in full uniform. They just happen to be wearing a yellow mask that covers from their nose down. Uh, but there are those, like like you said, there's the Red Scare, there's Looking Glass, there's Sister Knight, who, um, <laughs> you know, who are all actively working with the police department. There's Panda, who's just a fucking dude who wears a big panda mask over <laughs> I feel the like they're more head. like detectives, right? Like, they're obviously, like, senior officers yes. who are in charge of certain cases, like looking glass is the interrogator guy, right? Like that's his specialty. Um, so it, yeah, it, it's definitely, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's unique. And we, we do later learn that this is only being done here in Oklahoma. It hasn't been done all over the country. Um, it, you know, but it, it's starting to become popular and people want to see it kind of expand to other areas, other major cities, uh, you know, to protect these police officers lives and, and things like that. Now, I want to talk real quick about Oklahoma. Now, you and I both have, you know, uh, Pope, who who lives in Oklahoma, was a former guest on our Halo episodes. Yes. Uh, you know, one of one of the, the guys who he served with, uh, you know, is actually not only an Oklahoma resident but and an Army vet, but also a black man. So I asked him for his opinion real quick, and I was, I was just like, how racist is He didn't is serve with him, by the way. Oh, he didn't? How the fuck did they know each other? They were just best friends before... Uh... They knew each other from Oklahoma. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Small town, small town, small town. Um, so he, did, he didn't serve with them, but they both did serve. Uh, they did both serve, yeah, separately, yeah. Um, so, but, so I asked him, first off, I said, how does, this, how does this Oklahoma and Watchmen compare with your Oklahoma? He said, I haven't watched it yet, so I was like, all right, fuck you. Uh, I, said, <laughs> I, I didn't say that. I said, I said well, I, I said, uh, start watching it and listen to the podcast. Um but he said, quote, Oklahoma is weird. Our racism is low key, but it's real. For example, we still have a sundown town called Blackwell. It's even on their wiki. Now, huh. I don't know much about Blackwell. I didn't get a chance to to look it up. But 
you fucking do it, listeners. Shit, I can't do all the work here. Um, <laughs> you know, but but it is interesting, like, to get the opinion of a black man who, like, yeah, he's saying like it's not r- outright there, but you know, it definitely happens, and we and we do see a lot of, you know, some subtle racism in the show as well. Like, but that's everywhere, that co- right? I mean, like, well, yeah, that's true. It's really it's everywhere. It's here. It's it's you know every state and every city. Uh, unfortunately, that's that's America. So, you know, I. It's it sucks, but it you know it's just that's what it is, and I think that's why this show embraced this so much. Um, they really wanted to put a spotlight on racism, and I have people that I talk to are like, oh, I don't know how I feel about them really focusing on this with Watchmen, and I'm like, you know, maybe that wasn't the original goal of the first Watchmen, but Alan Moore always likes to put a spotlight on social and political issues. So uh, if this is what you know we gotta we gotta focus on right now, which we do, then why not? Well, I'm sorry if you like any of these people because I'm going to say it's kind of idiotic <laughs> to say that in the first place. The I original agree. Watchmen is a political work. It's a, it is. you know, it, yeah, it may not be specifically one side or the other, but similar to like Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns, right? It's all about extremes. You know, you have one one left view that's super extreme, a right view that's super extreme. You have, you know, Doctor Manhattan who's to the in the middle to the extreme because he's no longer even a human. He can't relate to them anymore. Like, um. You know, it is it, it is an interesting take uh, to see someone say that, you know, oh, I don't like Watchmen attacking racism, but it's like, no, it's like it's always been there. And guess what? It's about time we see fucking racists as the bad guys. Yep. I don't know. Like they are the bad guys. You know, when when I was in the collector's corner on Facebook, uh, you know, which is a, a hugely <laughs> I don't want to say a hugely racist comic book group, but it is a comic book group, a collective full of uh, a lot of fans and creators. It's quite the community, but there's a lot of racists there. There's a lot of people from the Midwest who are like, oh, I love this uh, comic book that has the swastika on it because it's all about free speech. And I love, um, you know, Jonah Hex because he was like a Confederate soldier or something like that. I don't know Jonah Hex's fucking history, but like, (laughs) you know, but, you know, they were talking about how like, oh, yeah, the Confederates were in this comic book. And I was like, I was like, no, I think that's fine as long as they're made out to be the bad guys. And the guy's like, well. They're not the bad guys, though. Like, so how does that make sense? And I'm like, okay, so so there we go. So, yeah, it's about time we fucking make racist the bad guys because guess what? They are. Um, and there's a really great moment uh, where Sister Knight in her civilian form as uh, Angela Abar, she's at her child's class for, for uh, career day, and she's explaining how, how she, you know, is a baker and how she bakes her cookies and all this other stuff, and... Uh, and she's talking about her her history, you know, that that she was actually born in Vietnam just before it became a state. Well, at least that's what she said. I don't know if that changes in the future, because now I'm, I'm thinking of. Of where where how old she might be, but uh, but, you know, she was in Vietnam before it became a U.S. occupied uh, state. And then she came to the U.S. She came to Oklahoma. She uh, became a cop. She was attacked on the white night. And then decided to retire, quote unquote. Later on, she becomes a vigilante. But she says, I'm opening up a bakery. And this little boy goes, did you use your red for Red? What do they call it? red for right? red for yeah. Because it's red like, reparations, right? Yeah. He's like, did you use your red for to, to to build that? you know, open that business. And she like got upset. And then her son who was in the class fucking attacks this kid. And, <laughs> yeah. And you know, on the ride home, what one go him, but on the ride home, the kid says that boy was racist. And she goes, well, he might not have been racist, but he's on the right track. <laughs> yeah. You know? And, and like, his son is white, right? I think, I think that's, that's good to know too. Her son it's is very white. important to note. Yeah. Topher, All of their know? kids are white, but, but he still recognizes that, you know, and he's, and he still obviously loves and wants to defend his, his mom, you know, 
mom figure. Yeah. Yeah, in some ways, I think that this show could actually be a wet dream for cops because, like, they do believe, like, oh, the pol- like in real life, I mean, the police are under attack and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's very much how it is in this show. The police are under constant attack. They have to, you know, cover cover their identities, except, you know, in our world, the police are protecting their identities so that way they can't be held accountable for perpetuating racism as opposed to the Watchmen world where it's they can't be held accountable for bringing racists to justice. Um, so that's so it is, it is an interesting dynamic there. Uh, but I, I do want to talk real quick about Rorschach because I, you know, I decided to, to, to look it up. And there's a really interesting Reddit thread also in the show notes, but they bring up three points that say that Rorschach is racist. Which, okay. you know, I you know upon second reading of Watchmen, I was like, he's definitely got some conservative views. I wouldn't call him a racist. But here's an excerpt from The New Frontiersman, which is the, the only paper that Rorschach reads. And I believe the paper he sent his journal to at the end of Watchmen. Mm, so, okay. um, yeah, so it says, uh, it says, there's the article. Now, once again, it's a fake article in the Watchmen universe in the newspaper that Rorschach reads says, what about the Boston tea party? What about the spirit of the lone ranger? What about all those occasions when men have found it necessary to go masked in order to preserve justice above the letter of the law? It's like encouraging vigilantism. Nova express makes many sneering references to costumed heroes as direct descendants of the Ku Klux Klan. But might I point out that despite what some might view as their later excesses, the Klan originally came into being because decent people had perfectly reasonable fears for the safety of their persons and belongings when forced into proximity with people from a culture far less morally advanced. No, the Klan were not strictly legal, but they did work voluntarily to preserve American culture in areas where there were very real dangers of that culture being overrun and mogralized. So, yeah, Rorschach is reading a paper that is uh, glorifying the Ku Klux Klan. One, um, Rorschach's complaining about his landlady having different children with different men and being a welfare cheat while owning rental property, uh, which is point number two. Now, for those of you who don't know about the welfare queen, it was a myth that was brought up by, um, by I want to say it was Ronald Reagan. It was Reagan. Uh, and when he brought when he did that, the Klan actually endorsed him. There's uh, there's links in this in this uh thread about that in which the Klan openly endorsed in a newspaper Ronald Reagan because his views aligned with their own so much. And three, Alan Moore based Rorschach on Steve Ditko's The Question and Mr. A, in large part to make fun of his objectivist Ayn Rand worldview. Uh, So Steve Ditko was probably best known for being a Spider-Man artist on Amazing Spider-Man back in the day. He passed away uh, probably a couple years ago. And uh, they were asking Alan Moore and they said, uh, um, when you read some of Ditko's diatribes in The Question and in some issues of Blue Beetle, did you read it with amusement or disgust? Alan says, well, and they go, a mix of both? And he goes, I learned pretty quickly about the sources of Steve, Steve Ditko's ideas, and I realized very early on that he was very fond of the writing of Ayn Rand. Um, they say, did you explore her philosophy? He says, I had to look at the fountainhead. I have to say I found Ayn Rand's philosophy laughable. It was a white supremacist dreams of a master race burnt into an early 20th century formed. Um, and then he's, and yeah, and then at the end of the interview, he admits that Rorschach was supposed to be the question, basically. He was like kind of a, a play on the question, who is a mainstream DC character without a face. I love it. So, uh, so yeah, it's pretty fair to assume that uh, Rorschach 
definitely had some racist views if he wasn't a direct racist. But like, you know, as we say for, you know, all the people who voted for Trump in 2016, like you may not have been racist, but you decided that racism wasn't a deal breaker for you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so that, you know, so whereas Rorschach might not have wanted a bunch of uh, Klan revivalists to take his mask up. And um, by the way, Rorschach was killed at the end of Watchmen by Dr. Manhattan. So, Uh, but um, if you, he might not have wanted that exactly, but his views aligned pretty well with theirs for them to be able to take it. And boom, that's basically their mind comp. Wow. <laughs> yep. yep, yep, that's, yep, yep. That's a good article. Yeah. If oh, if I oh, that was actually just a Reddit thread, but they oh, oh. some really good points. Yeah. Right. Wow. But if I could also bring up this little fucking kid in in uh, Topher's <laughs> class, because. They said that she said that she was from Vietnam, so he had no reason to believe that she would be a descendant of anyone from the Black Wall Street massacre, and therefore she wouldn't be eligible for Redfordations, you know? Like, so it just, I mean, he is a little kid, but it does go to show the ignorance that, like, the adults who taught him that, you know, the ignorance of adults we have here. You ever, you see that picture online of all the, of all the native people flipping off Mount Rushmore and someone says, if you don't like this country, you can leave it. And it's like, motherfucker, it is their country. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and, and we see, uh, you know, another character later on who, they don't really explain who he is. He, he says he has visitation with uh, Angela's kids. And you Bobby. Know, he, he brings up the Red Federations too, right? Yeah, Bobby's yes. from Supernatural. Yes, you know, so it, it, it's, like it just Bobby. seems like everybody, uh, if you're black, they're just going to call you out on that, right? They're just going to make you feel bad about it and, and say how, you know, you got a government hand-me-down, right? That's that's the big thing. Yeah, they're calling it handouts. They, uh, one person has a picket sign later on says, you already got a sorry, now you want a handout? Um, nope. You know, which is which is a huge problem that we still have in our in our society that we have all these all these people who like you know they called Obama the you know the um, the affirmative action president because yes affirmative action will get you a job as the as the commander in chief of course it will uh, <laughs> you know you had Trump calling him out and starting the birther movement was he even born here blah 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 like this whole idea of do you deserve what you're what you're getting. And even to the point today, you still have people who are like, oh, well, you know, they have the right to vote. They have this, you know, interracial marriage is legal. Like, what else do they want? Like, what more do they want? And it's a simple thing. It's actually it's two simple things, equality and equity, because guess what? Those rights shouldn't have been yours to give in the first place. They shouldn't have belonged to the white man and the white government in the first place to give to black people. So, yep. Yeah. So don't give me the whole like, oh, what more do you want thing? (laughs) <laughs> um, you know, but also, uh, I, I noticed equity the other day cause I started, we started gardening during the apocalypse and, um, you know, I realized that like equality means equality means all the plants get the same amount of water, but you know what? Not every plant needs the same amount of water. So some of them might need more in order to grow. Some of them might need a little bit less, you know, it's all about how you distribute that, <clears throat> wealth uh, <laughs> or water <laughs> to help certain communities or certain plants, as as you might put it. Um, so we do find out that that Angela, she is Sister Knight. She gets this call uh, from, on her beeper when she gets to her house. Her husband is there playing with one of their other white children. We do find out that the reason that these two black people have white children is because those kids' uh, parents were killed on the white night because they were the kids of cops. Yeah, so, and they were they were her partner's kids. You know, uh, both her partner. Oh, that's and, right. I forgot. And, and his wife kids. were killed in their bed while they were asleep. Uh, and Topher, the the eldest son 
who had, um, you know, attacked that kid in class to protect Angela, he actually saved his, his siblings by hiding in a closet with them. So it was obviously a very traumatic night for, for all of them. And I think she felt the responsibility of taking these kids and, and giving them a safe place or a safer place that she could find for them. And this code that she gets on her beeper is interesting because it's from uh, it's from the chief of police and it's Little Bighorn. Now, I should be uh, more of a history buff because I majored in it, but, you know, school is what <laughs> it is. Uh, but it turns out that um, I didn't know, but Little Bighorn was actually a victory for the Lakota, Northern Cheyenne, and Arapaho uh, Native American tribes, or I should just say indigenous tribes, against the U.S. Army in 1876. A lot of people call it Custer's Last yeah. Stand because they want to make yep. it about the American side. Um, yeah, they, they always make it heroic, right? That he fought, you know, time yes. and time again to, to hold it. Yeah. Meanwhile, it was because the U.S. was trying to take land from the natives, and they were like, "Hey, could you not do that? And we'll fight you for it." Like, yep. That's what it. That's what it was. Um, and also an interesting note that later on in another episode, we do see that there is a Native American painting, uh, which is in chief uh chief of police judd's house so you know so that i guess that's something that that he you know he seems to be like a white guy but he's pretty cool he's he's a white chief of police you know but he's all like about like you know we're not racist we're, we're all about justice blah 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 you know he makes it a point to go visit the wife of the cop who was shot up by by a lettuce man and um you know, he seems to be a pretty cool dude. Before Sister Knight goes to meet him, she pulls into Nixonville, which is a trailer park full of people who are obsessed with President Nixon. And note, I, I had to note that they're not flying the new American flag. The new American flag is like, it's still stars and stripes, but it's a, a blue circle with all the white stars inside of it. And then the stripes are on the outside of that circle. Seems kind of like a unity thing to me, I guess. Yeah. Uh, But they're flying the old school American flag, which is the one you and I have today. They're flying that in the trailer park. Very similar to how, you know, some people still fly Confederate flags. I think that's the point. You know, that before Robert, President uh, Robert Redford came in uh, for 30 years, which is weird, and uh, and changed, you know, changed around the, the country, you know, that they were still very much living in, in a world that somewhat similar to ours. And we even see on one of the trailers that someone wrote, uh, fuck Redford. And, uh, you know, because he was the president who gave a fair shot to the to the black community in Tulsa. Um, so, uh, but yeah, Sister Knight goes in, beats the shit out of some guy, and then takes him to the black site where uh, they're actually contemplating. Once again, I'm blown away by this idea that the police are not allowed to use deadly force unless it's absolutely necessary. That's just something we don't see. Yeah, absolutely not. It's almost encouraged here. You know, they, they, they train a lot of police officers to uh, shoot as soon as they feel they, you know, are in danger or, or have the right to. Uh, it's kill or be killed on the streets. And here it's very different. Oh, and I also want to make a point that the chief was called in uh, for one of his cops who was shot because. And by the way, this cop, everyone who was helping him in the in the hospital the police are running background checks on everyone who saw his face. Like, that's how bad it is that, like... And, I mean, this is it, too, right? We have them in our hospitals and, and you know, in our government positions. We have white supremacists all over. So they're they're doing background checks of these people to make sure that, you know, that they can be trusted with the identity of this cop. Um, but he's called in from uh, what what's later called, and I want to say episode... Either at the end of episode one or episode two, it's called Black Oklahoma. He's watching the play Oklahoma, but there's a bunch of black people in it. Very, very mixed cast. And this was so reminiscent of Hamilton to me. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, my gosh, yeah. 
Yeah, in the same way that Hamilton was like this play glorifying uh, people in American history in American history who were actually monsters. Uh, but but leaves behind all that stuff like it leaves behind the slavery. We don't mention that Thomas Jefferson uh, was the illegitimate father uh, of all these all these mixed children because he raped his slaves and stuff like that. That You know, they don't mention that in 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 Hamilton. It's, you know, really made to kind of like take away that history. And um, Mackie, I'm sorry. We'll we'll talk about it. We'll have an actual <laughs> episode with you on it, and we can all talk about Hamilton together because I, you know, I liked a couple of the songs. But, uh, but they did the same thing with with this version of Oklahoma. It turns out Oklahoma was like the first big play or musical that was written by uh, Rodgers and Hammerstein, and um, you know, it it is it is a classic. It's been adapted so many times, but it is a very white cast. So in 2012, I want to say it was Seattle. They made a version with more black people because, as we've seen at the beginning of this episode, there's a huge black history in Oklahoma. There's a huge right. black history in the United States in general, but nobody wants to acknowledge that. Um, and But you know what they did when they put black people in, Ty? They made the bad guy black. Oh. Yeah, and he was like this lustful monster trying to keep the main character away from his love. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's what that's <sighs> what Chief, that's what Judd was watching. Not so so interesting ab- ab- yeah, about the chief. Yeah. Uh, so he obviously loves musicals, right? They kind of insinuate that. And, you know, at one point he breaks into song because he's, he's very close to Angela's family. Like him and his wife come over for dinner. The kids love him. They're all really, really close. Um, it's really and, beautiful, yeah. Right, and, and Angela kind of made up a story about not being able to make the, the musical. She had no interest. Um, and, and, you know, uh, his wife, Jane, I believe her name is, you know, makes a comment about during uh, intermission, he said it was, you know, boring or, or he didn't like it. And she says, oh, you know, I think he's just jealous because he was curly in, in high school or college. Yes, um, he was the lead. Right, he was the lead. Now, later on, skipping ahead a little bit, we find a Klansman outfit in his closet. So, you know, it got me thinking. I'm like, did he find the? was he angry about the play, about the musical, because it was a black cast? You know, what did he did he feel like that that was could have been him up there or, or someone, you know, who was white up there? I don't know. It was it just it got me thinking uh, that there was more to that comment than just oh, it was just boring, you know. Wow, that's such a great point. I didn't even think about that. But you're right. Like looking back on it now, you now that you know, like there was a Klansman outfit in his closet. Reason being is because he was hanged at the end of the first episode, I believe. So uh, so he was he was lynched. And Angela's looking into it and she finds this Klansman outfit and doesn't know what to make of it because she's black. Her husband's black. And, you know, this guy was the chief of police who, whose specific mission is to bring down racism. So why? And their best friend. This... He's the uncle yeah, the of their kids. You know, it's friend. like Gene, uh, the wife says he loved you. He, she, she says to Angela, he loved you so much. You know, how, how could he be a racist? How could he be a member of, of the Klan or, or the Seventh Cavalry when he showed so much love and devotion to helping, you know, her and other other people like her? It, it's it's heartbreaking. And not to mention, it turns out that the person who is most likely responsible for his death, because he says he is, uh, a black man in the wheelchair, is Angela's grandfather, right? She does a DNA test and finds out that she's actually related to him. Um, and, and which is just wild. And, and she doesn't believe him. She doesn't even bring him down to police headquarters, right? She, she actually takes him to the bakery because she doesn't want to turn him over. Cause she's trying, I think she's trying to mull over. How would a man in a wheelchair lynch someone from a tree? It just doesn't make sense. And you know, he's, he's kind of, 
maybe joking, maybe not. He's like, oh, I got psychic powers, right? Maybe I'm Dr. Manhattan. You know, he's making like little comments and, and, and jabs at her. And he won't really give her all the information. She has to really pull from it because he wants her to figure it out on her own. And he made that comment about he has skeletons in his closet. That's why he killed him. So she literally goes into his closet and found that outfit. And he's like, well, I didn't mean it literally. Was that in his closet? And it's, it, it, you know, it's kind of humorous, <laughs> but he's great. Uh, Louis Gossett Jr. really plays yeah. this role to perfection. I, on the whole, I think the acting in this show is is fantastic all around. I haven't, you know, you know, later on when we get to see Lori Blake and stuff, like I think oh, everyone great. is fucking bringing their A game, especially uh, especially Sister Knight's actress uh, Regina King. Yeah, she's a fantastic uh, actress. She's she's really good in everything I've I've seen her in. Another thing we find out about that about her grandfather is that he was the little boy. I believe, at least that's what they lead us to believe in the first three episodes. They're definitely insinuating that. Yeah, that he was the little... Oh, that means he's not. Okay, that's all I need, that's all I need to know. <laughs> it, we're led to believe because he has the same letter that uh, that the man gave to his son at the beginning, that OB gave to his son at the beginning. And so we're led to believe that, it, that in fact, he was that little boy. And He does say he's, what, 104 years old, I think? She's like, you say his age? She, Holy she goes, you're 90 fucking years old. You couldn't have hanged him, you know? And he's like, I'm 104, actually, and I have psychic powers. <laughs> and like, it's just, which oh, is just so yeah. funny. That's brilliant. Oh, he says you curse um, too much. I'm sorry. He says you curse too much. That was, that was he his does response. say that. <laughs> um, can I talk about Robert Redford's uh, politics real quick? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, so I had to look it up because I'm like, what the fuck makes Robert Redford the president they decided to choose. Like I feel like I know he hail Hydra, man. I don't know if I trust that. Yes, guy. that's right. He was on Hydra's <laughs> side. Uh and also but Robert Redford is like he's like he's very much in the same uh vein of Ronald Reagan. He was a, a Western star. Yep. Um you know like and it Which seems like why would we want another celebrity as president? But uh but it you know it seems in Watchmen's universe he's he's really done a a great job depending on who you're asking yeah. you know there are people who believe that he's taken away rights day by day and that he's responsible for um all of the squids that happen to be raining down that there's a whole conspiracy about that we can go into it we don't have to but um there there was an article written in the hill um it was back in 2018 and this is really one of the few things i could find because his historically he's like he's met with and backed a lot of republican governors uh for office he also endorsed barack obama for his reelection hmm. um you know so it's tough to say if i were to give him a side i would say obviously capitalism but uh but i don't yeah. you know but i i wasn't able to find like a lot on his his politics but he did, he did have this one bit that that he uh that he wrote and he said, for the first time I can remember, I feel out of place in the country I was born into and the citizenship I've loved my whole life. For weeks I've watched with sadness as our civil servants have failed us, turning toward bigotry, mean-spiritedness, and mockery as the now normal tools of the trade. The actor and Sundance Film Festival founder urged Americans to be better than our politicians. Oh, and then he also says, how can we expect the next generation to step up and serve, to be interested in public life and to aspire to get involved when all we show them is how to spar, attack and destroy each other? He wrote. So that was a pretty interesting, uh, pretty interesting thing for, for him to say. It was clearly, uh, you know, anti uh, anti Trump, um, although I think one of one of the quotes he that was in a book about Trump was taken from an interview that Redford had where he said like, he's glad that Trump was in the race. This is back in 2015. He was glad that Trump was in the race because it would like shake things up, you know? 
Right. Yep. So uh so so I don't I don't know. I don't know why they chose Redford. Maybe it'll come up later later on, but I did I did think it was an interesting choice and you know, it's very uh appropriate that we do have a celebrity president in the office in Watchmen where we have one right now as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh so I I'd like to talk about Jeremy Irons character a little bit. Um he's he's in the first episode. He only has a couple scenes. Um We'll just skip right ahead and say, you know, in the third episode, they reveal that he is Adrian Veidt, um, a.k.a. Ozymandias, um, a former superhero, right, who was kind of involved with Dr. Manhattan and Rorschach and, and concocted that entire plan. Yeah, he to, was the one you know, who brought about world peace by killing three million people. That was his plan. <laughs> yeah, he's he's one of the most brilliant minds of all time, also uh, very wealthy. And he is, you know, they say he's dead, right? I think they, they say that he's been killed. Um, and we don't know what what we're seeing, right? He is uh, surrounded by two people, I think Mr. Phillips and Miss Crookshanks, of which there seem to be multiple versions of. Uh, and he kills them at will. He, he has them perform um, a play in which they reenact how Dr. Manhattan was created and they he murders Mr. Phillips and then he has another one come down dressed as Dr. Manhattan. And uh, it, it's it's very, very strange. There's you know a game master who who's like trying to hunt him and stop him from going out um, and hunting animals. And, and we don't really quite know what's going on in these three episodes. Yeah, we don't know where he's um, living, why he's living there. He's just out of the. We don't know like when that. it's taking, but yeah, yeah, nothing. We know nothing about it. It's it's just him and these uh, these two characters that we keep seeing. When it's taking um, place, so it's in a different timeline. All right, good to know. Good to know. Keep it, giving. It me. might be for those for the, the listeners. Episode, Ty has actually seen the whole series before, and he's rewatching. I'm watching it for the first time, so I'm still trying to put put pieces together. Everything you know? together. <laughs> And uh, in the third episode, they show him actually put the outfit on, his superhero suit on. Um, and, and we don't really know much more than that. We don't know, you know, what, what he's up to, what, what's going on. But we do know that uh, he is, you know, Adrian Veidt, who was a very, very vital character to this entire world. And as we still see squid um, alien droppings in the world, it, which has become like a commonplace thing, obviously the effects of what he did are being felt throughout. So... Um, I know I'm sure you're looking forward to seeing the role he plays in later episodes uh, and I'm excited to rewatch those but uh, definitely yeah. Be- because like I'm really I really want to hang on to the Watchmen I know and I want to see parts of that and they do it so well like to the point that it's not too much but it's also not yep. too little like they they provide such a great take on these characters as we move forward um, yeah I mean our main character is really you know Angela Abar who's a new character but at the same time, they very much want you to remember this is Watchmen, you know, and, and the things that happened in Watchmen have directly affected everything that you're seeing. Uh, and I think that's that's really well done. Uh, and another character that returns from the original Watchmen is Lori Blake, um, who I think is one of the best parts of the show. Now, in the comics, uh, she went by Lori Jupiter because that was her mother's name. Yeah, so, you know, in, in Watchmen, it's revealed that she is actually the daughter of the comedian. Um, and it's a very controversial reveal. The comedian was a... Uh, I, I don't know if I... What would you consider him? He was both a hero and a villain, yeah, right? He, he was, was a very complicated character. Yeah, he was a vigilante. He was burning people alive in Vietnam, and he fucking loved doing it. He was like he was a soldier vigilante. I would say he's that guy. Like he was there rounding, you know, rounding up people and abusing them during protests when they were uh, protesting Vietnam. He was in Vietnam. He got a woman pregnant and then shot her. 
Um, yep. Not like right after, but like, but like later on. <laughs> um, <laughs> he just finished and he was like, I know. But he shot it. No, that's fucked up. Um, oh my God. But, um, but yeah, that's so, why they call him the comedian. And at one point, he also tried to uh, rape one of his fellow superheroes, who was uh, Sally Jupiter, um, who would end up having the daughter. Um, who would end up having his daughter, Lori Jupiter. Now, he didn't succeed in this rape, so it means that later on in, in life, the two of them just came together and they had a kid, and she went her entire life hating the comedian and not knowing yeah. that he was yep. her father. And, but, uh, he was also murdered by Adrian Veidt, right? Because he oh, was shit, getting close right. to the truth. Yeah. He was actually, he kind of starts the entire Watchmen comic. Uh, he's attacked in his home. He has this epic you know hand-to-hand fight with a masked vigilante assailant and he's thrown out the window and his button has the blood down it and that begins rorschach investigating his murder right you know vigilantes heroes are being murdered um and it was adrian Veidt we find out who killed him uh you know so it, it, there's there's a lot here and obviously Lori hasn't taken his last name is huge and i think in in the show you see her kind of acting more like him than her mother, you know, she was the Silk Spectre, the second Silk Spectre, right, right after her mother, she took on yes, her, she was. you know, her, her heroic identity. She's very much like her mom. Uh, and now she's acting more like her dad. She's working for the government. Um, she's anti-vigilante, right? She's actually helping round them up. She is hard as nails. Um, she, she, she doesn't take any shit, right? She, she can be pretty funny too. You know, like when she first approaches all the, uh, the mass cops in Tulsa and she's like, sir, you know, have you been read your rights? Are you, do you feel like you're being violated? And he's like, yes, I do. She's like, I'm just kidding. I don't care. Where's the looking glass? Like <laughs> she's just, yeah, you know, she's very she doesn't mess around. Like the straight to the point nihilist, you know, hard motherfucker that her father was. And, uh, and, you know, also the whole episode she's introduced and is based around her sending a message to Dr. Manhattan and that she doesn't even know if he's going to get because it's like a public phone booth sort of thing that goes to Mars. Um, but she's, she's telling him jokes and this is, yeah. you know, that was like the comedian's whole thing and not even, but they're really fucked up jokes, right? They're like really, they're, they're not funny jokes. Cause that was the comedian's whole thing. He would, he would say like, he's really like like controversial horrible things you know it's all a joke right and and that's kind of where she's going with this she's telling these stories that are just very traumatizing and and brutal um and she just she's telling them on the phone we don't really understand why but i think you kind of see that she's lonely right like it's it's kind of a lonely job she uh she actually has a dr manhattan dildo at one point right i think it's it's a vibrator personally okay vibrate yeah so you know it's uh you know she's you know you find out what happened to night owl for example right um she she started a romance with him and watchman oh yeah but i think uh there is a line by uh who is it senator keen joe keen the one who actually began like the 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 face mask thing for police and i think he's maybe running for president i know he's a senator i think people are hoping that he that he runs against um redford and and outs him as the president of the united states right so he makes a comment to her and he says uh you know the power of a presidential pardon offering that could even get uh her owl out of that cage so i I because she has like owl in she she literally has an owl but i think maybe night owl has been arrested i forgot Uh, about he is sitting in in a in a in a cell for vigilantism and there's no way to help him unless he gets a presidential pardon 
Um, so I think that was, you know, kind of a little hint at where his, his whereabouts are. And she's lonely, you know, she's by herself. Um, she kind of has like this understudy with her that she brings on and he starts bringing up some information about Adrian Veidt and, and, you know, uh, Dr. Manhattan. She's like, you want an autograph? And he's like, listen, I'm a history major. You brought me on here. You know, that's what you brought me here for. I'm not, I'm not here for an autograph. I'm just trying to get to the point. And she kind of tells a little bit more of her history and she talks about heroes and talks about how she's very much against them now. Right. She's, she's not a, a supporter of them by any means. And it's also important to note, in case you are a heathen and haven't been in the Watchmen universe at all, <laughs> that her ex-boyfriend is Dr. Manhattan. She was married, I believe married, yeah. her ex-husband. Yeah, they were married. She was yep. married yep. to a god. And, and now, he left his first wife for her, right? Yes, he did. He it left was his very first complicated. wife for yep. Yep. He was pretty human then, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> <laughs> she was younger and sexier at the time and... You know, he still uh, he still had some emotions, I guess. Um, yeah, so you know, she's she's calling out the Doctor Manhattan, someone that she was very close with at one point, uh, and I think she's just she needs a sign from him. No one's seen him in thirty years, and I think she just needs. You know, people look at him as God, and I think she's looking at for that too. And I love that she tells that story about the little girl who throws the brick up in the air. Mm, now it comes down and it so hits good. God in the head, and uh, it actually kills him because God didn't see it, and he goes to hell. Um, and it's this really like crazy story. And she's like, oh, some joke, you know. And later on, something falls out of the sky and crashes onto her car, and she looks up and she starts laughing because. I mean, I think she probably feels Dr. Manhattan heard her. He listened to her message and he was sending her a sign. Yeah, well, I think that's actually the car that the old man was in. Because earlier he. Oh, yeah, you're right, you're right. Earlier your car he gets dropped down. Lifted up by we don't right, know right. what, some magnet. He gets lifted yep. up by something and then we never see him again. And then that car comes down and she's laughing. Right, right. It's 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 wild, but she she also she plays a role so great. She's like hardcore, but when you do see those moments of vulnerability, it's like oh shit. Um, you know, before we move on, I just want to bring up a couple other points from from episode one. Uh, how when they so at one point the police they do go to storm a seven k uh cattle ranch where they're like taking the batteries out of watches to make a bomb. And after she beats the shit out of this guy, I think, oh, he kills himself with a suicide pill. She sees this old school uh, ad for the bank and it has the character. He was a superhero back in the day named Dollar Bill. And it's like, oh, you know, crooks are afraid of Dollar Bill, blah, blah, blah. Like, I guess he's there protecting banks or something or they used him as a spokesperson. But there's a black man that he's holding. Like, it's really old school imagery, like something you would see, like, from propaganda, like, you know, World War II era. And it's, it's like, oh, like, you know, crooks, blah, blah, like this black guy is a crook. And that right there was so like Aunt Jemima to me and everything. Like, really, I was like, oh, you know, we go. <laughs> like there's so many great subtle stuff. And if we were to go through all of it. We'd be stuck here for hours. But they have they really have a lot of great subtleties they threw in. And, you know, um, at this one, the Heritage Center is has a whole mural of, of uh, black history on it. Someone has a sign that instead of saying the end is nigh, which was in the original Watchmen series, it says the future is bright. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. I'm that. telling you, when I said I stopped every two seconds to take <laughs> a fucking note, <laughs> I, <Shit. laughs> I did it. Um, 
probably end up cutting this out. How sweet was that weapon set up in her house when she got the the page to go uh when she got the call to go after after Judd hanging from the tree. And she like oh, and she like Yeah, she lays back, the pushes the headboard, the fucking shotgun cuts out, she reaches under the fireplace, pulls a handgun, gives it to her husband. Uh I mean it, I get it though, after after we saw like the the night that they were all attacked, you oh, know what I mean? Man, like, yeah. That you know what I mean? Like she's so always scary. on the defensive because no matter how many times she tells people she's not a police officer, do they really believe her? No, and like don't. for example, Blake knew, right? Lori Blake knew right away who they all were. Well, she yeah. had all their identities. She's not an idiot. You know? Yeah. So I mean she's <laughs> I, I love her character. She's just so intelligent. She knows right away that there's more to the story. You know, she's the one that finds the wheelchair tracks by the tree where, where the chief was hanged. Um, you know, she knows that Something was taken out of his closet. Uh, she knows that Angela's hiding something, you know. And I love, I love that scene where she says, uh, you know, and I eat the good guys for breakfast. And Angela goes, oh, and it pours <laughs> the coffee down because they're both they're both hardcore. They're you know what I mean? Not gonna, strong, neither of them's yeah. gonna back down. Yeah, neither of them really have any reason to. Like Angela, we don't know what happened to her parents, but we do. We don't know what happened to her parents. But we do know that she mentions to her adopted son, Topher, she goes like, listen, you and me, like, you know, we both know what life is. You know, we know it's not lollipops and rainbows. I'm going to tell you straight up, your uncle was killed last night. Like, she doesn't, you know, she yep. she doesn't hold back. Oh, and at this point, we do find out that Topher has powers, right? Are we going to talk about that? Uh, it doesn't Does really play into any of the political themes yet, but we see that Topher is a psychic. He's playing with his little building toys and floating them in the air. I thought that was just like technology. Is that what you thought? Like, honestly. like it was a magnetic thing that was kept up. Yeah, honestly, that's what I thought it was. Well, if he, oh, fuck, I can't ask you anything because you already know. Like, you'd be the one, like, to be like, oh, well, it looks like he has powers, but like, you know, later on, he <laughs> ends up being like Doctor Manhattan or something. I mean, I will like, say sometimes I throw those things in there to purposely throw you off. Um, but anyway. <laughs> I, I don't remember enough from this, the original watch to to verify or uh, deny. Or deny. So. Oh, God. Um, we had this great moment in episode two. It starts off with a German guy. Is he a Nazi? I don't know. But he's sending uh, he's sending a message to to uh, some a few friends, it looks like, in, in America. Or they're not in America, but they're fighting for America in World War II, and they're black. And he's like, he's like, why are you fighting for this country? Like, can you still sit in the same restaurant, sit in the same uh, theater seat, same seat on the bus? Can you still ride in the same car with white people? Or no? Like, you know, they, they lynch you guys there. Why don't you come over to Germany? Like, fight for us. Like, you know, they're very powerful black pe- uh, black people in business. They've got, you know, they got a great economy in Berlin. Like, it, it was... You know, just an interesting, uh, an interesting point. I think this was the letter that uh, Ob actually wrote on the back of and gave to his son. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. But how does that make fucking sense? How could what he write on a World War Two? Wasn't was that in the twenties? No. Was it World War One? Maybe. It might have been World War One. Because World War One was uh, also nineteen eighteen. Yeah. Okay, that makes a lot more so sense. So it's probably World War One. I'm an American histories major. How terrible! American <laughs> history. How terrible! Because Tulsa was 1921, so that would make a lot of sense, and okay. that would be why he had his uniform because he'd probably just recently come back from World War One within the last ah. year or two, or uh, last couple of years, and uh, yeah, 
So that's so what I think go. that probably Real was. quick note, yep. there's no way that uh, Sister Knight doesn't use a stencil for her face paint. Sorry. They just showed <laughs> her airbrushing with nothing on it, and then it cuts to her with perfectly like perfect lines on her face. I'm like, fuck you guys. Yeah. She uses a stencil. Uh, my quick note is, and I talked about this off mic, was throughout this, the characters are constantly taking their mask down. <laughs> and uh, the Chief's like, put your, put your face back on. And it's just kind of like America today, where people keep taking their masks down when they're supposed to be wearing them in public. It's like, yep. God damn it, wear your mask, all right? Yeah. So, you know, wearing, wearing a mask for safety. We see Senator Joe Keen almost assassinated at Chief Judd's funeral. Yeah, by a bomber, uh, a suicide bomber, actually. Yeah, who who has a you know he claims that if they you know it's it's tied to his heart and you know if, if everyone doesn't move he's gonna kill everyone there he's taking Senator Joaquin and Blake just shoots him in the head she doesn't give a fuck she just kills him and she was the only one to bring a gun too yeah and the bomb is ready to go off um, and Angela activates quickly by pulling his corpse throwing it into the hole where the chief is going to be buried in, and then flipping his casket over on top of it. Jesus. Uh, which is, you know, ooh, God, yeah. brutal. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously it saves everyone there. And uh, Blake does mention they were going to exhume the body of the chief the next day, but they can't do that now. And, uh, you know, so it does make you, you know, realize, all right, so the, the 7th Cavalry does not want Joe Keen to be, uh, you know, reelected at this point because... He's the one that kind of pushed for this whole mask thing for the police, which is really, you know, harm their movement. Yeah. And just to go back to that, I was really blown away by what you said. Like the masks are so much. <laughs> so, so is Judd. <laughs> well done. <laughs> I'm keeping that in. Um, but uh, actually, I'm not sure if it's a political thing, but it is interesting that in that flashback with Angela and her husband, he says uh, it's two minutes to midnight brings up the whole oh, yeah, the doomsday clock theme that's constantly throughout the series uh the comic book and um you know one of the sequels in DC comics is called Doomsday Clock um hold on where are we at in the Doomsday Clock right now it is 100 seconds to midnight meaning that we are the closest we've ever been um wow yeah humanity continues to face oh this is a as of january 23rd so we're probably like 10 seconds to midnight now Um, yeah humanity continues to face two simultaneous existential dangers nuclear war and climate change oh that was that was back then baby that was back then (laughs) that was in january um but yeah also there's this whole thing with um we're talking about people with masks and uh and and you know, taking them down. But also there are people who don't believe certain things. Like there are constantly squids reminiscent of the alien that blew up 3 million people or the aliens that blew up 3 million people across the world. There are all these squids that are raining down uh, at random points of the day. They have an alarm so people can pull over so they don't get hurt while driving. And that was so like reminiscent of, of uh, America today with COVID-19 and everything. How like instead of trying to fix a problem, like, historically, that's what the U.S. does, right? We don't fix a problem. We just take it and we move along with it. Like, we are, like, we're such a tough country that way that, like, we really should have closed down like everybody else, paid everyone to stay home, gotten rid of the, the virus altogether in the U.S., but we didn't. And so now it's like, all right, well, yep. it's just normal. We fucking wear masks and have, you know, our hands bleed from hand sanitizer all the time. And, you know, like, that's just what life is. And it seems like that's what they've done 
you know, as well in the Watchmen world is they've just, all right, well, these squids just happen. But there are people who don't even believe that it's like a legitimate problem. They believe that it's a conspiracy put forth by the by the United States government, by President Redford. And that right there is also very reminiscent of how people feel about COVID-19 today, too. Yeah, I, definitely. You could definitely uh, see those comparisons there. Now this was show came out before any of this, right? So uh, it's kind of kind of wild. Fucking did. Um, actually, I also want to mention how there's advertisements for this. Uh, for this, this it might be a docu series or something that's about the old school justice, like you know, like old school the vigilantes. Yeah, like with hooded justice and everything, and old school vigilantes. And before they show the TV show, it says this program contains terrible depictions of people of color, nudity, racism, anti-Semitic, anti-LGBTQ, anti-LGBTQIA. Um, you know, it should not be viewed by children, even if there's a, a super, you know, an adult supervision. Blah blah blah. You know, it, it's you know basically what what we also do. Like you see, like on Disney Plus, they'll be like, by the way, we kind of fucked up back in the day. So don't take this stuff seriously but you know this is the art this is what it was so we're yeah, gonna show it yeah. as it was like you know it's very much so like this is a program in in watchmen that's meant to glorify and show like old school superheroism and vigilanteism you know but meanwhile it does show all the problematic stuff of the past you know reminds yeah. me today like we're always raising our kids with this stuff all this like you know like oh the soldiers are always the greatest heroes and whatever and like we'll show them violent movies and tv shows and everything else and be like all right, like, you know, there's the stuff you're supposed to idolize. And we see Topher is actually watching yeah. that Hooded Justice show. Yeah, I mean, Hooded Justice being the first vigilante, I believe, uh, in the Watchmen universe. I think universe, he was, yes. Y- you know, he's he brutally dispatches of these uh, these these people that yeah, are robbing the store. Yeah, they're trying to rob the store. the store, yeah. It's and, like, amazing. I mean, he's, like, it's smashing terrible, his face onto the, onto the counter yeah. and stuff. He crushes <laughs> it with something. I'm like, holy shit, like... You know, they they were not pulling any punches there, but I, I you know, obviously they were intentionally showing like how violent and and uh and graphic uh this this was gonna be. Um and yet, you know, like you said, Topher's watching it, little kids watching it. I wanna talk about Judd real quick as far as what we know about him too. And we see that in Judd's house, after he's already dead, his wife is having people over that he was close to and everything. She's entertaining guests. This is when uh this is when Sister Knight goes into his closet and finds out that there was a clans outfit clansman outfit there uh but <clears throat> we see that as she's leaving they zoom in on the on the the painting on the wall which is uh it's depicting the Comanche horsemen uh the you know Comanche they have their their history in Oklahoma and um they were like very well known for uh their like nomadic equestrian uh life and and like they were there's this horsemanship ritual that they have that was being depicted in the painting. And this, and this kind of reminded me of just like the liberal mindset, you know what I mean? Like the neoliberal mindset that Judd was on the surface. He was all like, you know, pro native American. He's using little big horn as codes. He's, you know, has a, uh, the painting of the Comanche horseman. He's, he's pro black. He's best friends with black people. And, and, uh, you know, they're basically part of his family and, and everything else. But why was, and we'll find out later. I don't know yet. We'll find out later. Like, why was this Klansman outfit in there? Is it just something that like his grandfather kept around? Was it something that he actually was like, did he see, Secretly hate black people, but on the surface, wasn't racist. Like that—that that tends to be the case. Like we find with like a lot of, you know, liberal or neoliberal people who like, you know, they claim to be allies, but when it comes to to actually putting their money where their mouth is, they're not. Yeah, I mean, maybe even like he was racist, and then 
forming a friendship with Angela changed him. You know what I mean? Sometimes very possible. Uh, yeah. You know, meeting someone who comes from a different background can really open your eyes. So yeah, we don't know. We don't know enough about him. We know that he's very loved by the people in his life. Uh, the the police, you know, the people in the police force, they loved him. They really respected him. Uh, you know, he was out there with his face showing, you know, he didn't wear a mask. He, he was openly, you know, uh, there to support them. And, um, you know, he was at Angela's bedside when she was attacked uh, on that, that horrible night and like held her hand and said, I failed you, you know? So, you know, we don't really know. Um, but we know that, you know, Lori Blake is uh, not going to drop this. And uh, Angela's obviously going to be investigating further as she gets to know her grandfather and figure out how a man in a wheelchair hanged him. So, yeah, and I think that, you know, that would also describe like, you know, us in the way that we came from a very specific uh, demographic and where we grew up and we might not have necessarily have been racist, but might have had some problematic views. And then coming into contact with people of different races and ethnicities and backgrounds and everything like really, you know, helped helped round out our, you know, our opinions about about people. Um, anything else you wanted to talk about regarding these these first three episodes? No, I think we covered uh most of the important stuff so um i'm just excited to watch the next three and get into that next week i am too i'm really looking forward to it i will say that episode three it began with uh batman slander which i'm not a fan of uh but it is what it is (laughs) it had like a proxy for batman getting owned by Lori blake and all of her fed friends um but yeah that being said definitely watch this show there's so many great bits in there that we weren't able to to talk about because aside from just uh, it's politics and it's social awareness. It's also just a really well put together show. Great acting. The music in episode two, I noted, was fucking amazing. It was very like John Carpenter Halloween esque to me. Uh, maybe it was oh, yeah. just me, but yeah, if you listen back to it, it was great. Um, you know, that being said, uh, in the meantime, please make sure to listen to us and rate and review us on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or the iHeartRadio app. You can find us on Twitter at PolitiPopPod. You can find us on Instagram at PolitiPopPodcast. You can email us at PolitiPopCast.com. Don't forget to find our show notes and sources at PolitiPopPodcast.wordpress.com. We're going to be writing out on the following song today, which is uh, somewhat relevant. Uh, it is... <laughs> It's somewhat relevant. Uh, it's by Ludacris, <laughs> and it's called Silence of the Lambs. Very uh, very socially aware. A lot of current events going on in there. Uh, please make sure that you uh, you watch the first three episodes, and um, you know that way this podcast makes sense to you. Next week, we'll be back with episodes four through six. Thank you so much for listening, uh, and also a special thanks to Antonia Little for logo design. For the Politipop Podcast, I've been Mike Booch. I've been Ty. No matter what you're watching, no matter what you're reading, no matter what you're listening to, remember to never stop learning, never stop thinking, and always read between the lines. Niggas is wearing a bulletproof vest just to go outside. Innocent people are bystanders. Some are recording murders on their cameras or they on live. Social media got kids wanting to commit suicide because everybody's getting scrutinized. Graham Stunton knows the truest lies. Now the parents need to be supervised. That's ass backwards. Bombs blowing from the terrorist attackers. Natural disasters. Computer crashes. World leaders clashing. Separating us into different classes. Protect the elite and destroy the masses. So all up in the hood is pistols blasting. No wonder why the hood gets no compassion. We don't have no Good. Very good. Where does DeJoy live? That's a good question. Residence. Texas. Texas. Why? I don't know. I'm just making shit up. God damn it. Hold on, okay. (laughs) 
Washington, D.C. Yo, Washington Post is fucking me right here. I don't want to pay a dollar. <laughs> they always do that, man. You're fucking bullshit. Did you see that it was Washington, D.C.? Oh, no, wait. Yeah, um, there's this really nice article. I, not really nice. There's a really... Uh, how do I fuck Informative? <laughs> Thank you. That's so good. Yeah, and I think we should just mention... Uh, you know, Senator Joe Keane was almost assassinated by the Seventh Cavalry at, uh, at the Judge Chief's wedding. funeral. Uh, wedding, <laughs> wedding. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> Angel's marrying his death. corpse. They... Uh, Sorry, <laughs> you're right. Uh, He's married to death. Um, <laughs> whenever you want. So. I'm sorry. Uh, we see Senator Joe Keene almost assassinated at Chief Judd's Bar funeral. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Last one. That was the last one. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. Uh, all right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, really good to note that a bunch of the notes I made for the next two episodes, I already talked about those things in the in the first part of this episode. So that's nice. That's good. It's perfect. Uh, it's just, you know, like, because basically it was all plot stuff. Like, oh, this is what happened. Blah, blah, blah. Um, what time is it on the doomsday clock? 2020 Who doomsday clock. the doomsday clock? Sorry, let me just look it up so I don't sound like a fucking idiot. Um, oh, the Comanches were from Oklahoma. I didn't know that. Okay. Comanche horsemanship. So we do... Uh, fucking... So we also see that uh, during this uh, this kind of like uh, service... What What is she holding? A vigil? What the fuck is she holding for Judd, his wife? All right, hold on. At her house? Yeah. What is it, the technical term? I don't know. Right, I'll figure it out. Here we go. Here we go. A celebration of his life. <laughs> I love how they do say at one point, they literally say, like, masks save lives. Uh, ah, <laughs> yeah. In this show. <laughs> yep. That's funny. That had nothing to do with what you just said, but I just I just saw it in my notes. Um, You know what? Let it's, me, let me actually follow up to, to what you just said, though. Um. And then I gotta go. Yeah. Soon. Oh yeah. Shit. You gotta go when? Like soon, right? Um. Yeah. Like in a minute. Okay. Cool. 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 All right. Sorry. And scene. Thank you. What the fuck? Up oh, there. We go.